Shir that we're giving now is based on a piece from the Alter Rebbe in Torah Or, in Parshas Vayishlach, and also various <coughs> pieces from the Lubavitcher Rebbe and some other things that I put in. It's, it's not a simple shear at all. We do our best to try to make it as clear as possible. Once you get the initial idea, the rest becomes easier, but it's not an easy share. Okay. We know that in this week's parsha, when Yaakov Avinu finally meets Esav, so the pasuk says, "Vayishikehu, vichabkehu." That they embraced, they embraced, and that they kissed. Now, on top of the word and they kissed, there's a, a row of dots. Rashi explains there are two shitas. Some say the kiss was not sincere, and others say the kiss was sincere. Who says the kiss was sincere? Roshim Bar Yochai says the kiss was sincere. Just like in Gemara, whenever you have a machlaikas, you have to analyze and give the inner meaning of the machlaikas. So to here, what's the inner meaning of this machlaikas? Either Yaakov Avinu and Esav had an authentic kiss or they didn't have an authentic kiss. How could it be both? What's the underlying machlaikas? Also, just to point out that when it comes to the embrace, there's no dots over the word. Which indicates that everybody agrees that when Esav Arasha and Yaakov Avinu hugged, everybody agrees that that was authentic. Because that's the Pshuta Shomikra. It's only when it comes to the kiss that there's a machlaikas between Roshim Yochai and others whether or not it was authentic. Okay. Second question. After Yaakov and Esav meet, Esav, if you look carefully in the Psukim, makes it very clear, I'm with you. Wherever you want to go, I'm with you. And Yaakov Avinu, it's very clear that he refuses. He says, it's going to be hard for me to get there, the little kids and the tender flock, it's going to be very hard for me. You go to Har Seir and I'll meet you there. Medrash says that it went through the entire Torah, and we never find that Yaakov Avinu actually met Esav in Harseir. So it's a very strange thing. If Yaakov Avinu is saying to Esav, I'll meet you in Harseir, and Yaakov Avinu, of course, is the Midah of Emes, so what would we imagine? Come eventually. Medrash says, no, until Yemais Mashiach, Yaakov Avinu will not meet Esav in Harseir. What's going on over here? Especially because if you think that they made peace, Right? And it seems that they made peace. At least is authentic. And according to Hashem Yochai, even the Nishika, even the kiss is authentic. So I would naturally assume that what? That Yaakov Avinu should go with Esau. They should go to Harseir. They made peace together. What's the shot that he doesn't go? Okay. Today in sophisticated faith, I started speaking about an idea. Not everybody here is in that shir, but I'm going to speak out this idea now again. For those that were in it, you'll hear it again. How was the world created? So the Medrash Rabbah explains that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created worlds and he destroyed worlds. He created worlds and he destroyed worlds. Hasidus says that this is not physical, but it's spiritual. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu created worlds and destroyed worlds, it's a spiritual process <coughs> of creating the world. And our existence is born out of this process of creation and destruction. So it's not that HaKadosh Baruch Hu snapped his fingers and then the world was created. No. There's a process. Creation, destruction. And from that destruction comes our world, which we're going to understand in a very deep way. 
In other words, our world is built on the debris of the destructed world that came before it. You understand? So first there was a world, it was created, destroyed, and our world is built on the debris of the previous world in a spiritual fashion. We'll explain that what that means. It's not, in other words, that our world, or the, I should say, it's not that the first world was a mistake. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't make mistakes. There's a process of creation, and the process of creation is, first comes that world, then comes this world. When that world is destroyed, you'll see that it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it's gone, but that the shattered world is here, and we're going to engage that shattered world. Okay, we'll see what this means in a deeper sense, but that's the overall structure. So creation is not a snap your fingers process. Does somebody know how to turn that on? Do we have that capability? Just to be plugged in Okay. Yeah. You have the capability. Somebody has to have the keys. The two most important people in yeshiva are the person that has the keys and the cook. The uh, I'm not even on the list. Are right, you not know good? Okay, but say there. If not, if not, we'll just leave. Turn on the power. The power is on. The power is on. Okay, but say there. Red, you just need a remote. Yeah, someone with a smartphone. Just say there. The remote is nice. Neither of those remotes are for that. Lost some Okay. The first world that was created is called the Olam Atohu. Olam Atohu means it's a world literally of chaos. So when the Pasuk says, That's actually referring to a world that was created. This world is called the world of chaos. What is the property of the world of chaos? It's getting very deep into Kabbalah now. The property of the world of chaos is that there is more light than vessels. So for example, this vessel right here, this water bottle, it can contain a certain amount, a certain type of liquid. If we would pour molten lava into this vessel, this vessel would not be capable of containing it. So when you have more light than vessel, what's going to happen to the vessel? Shatter. The vessel is going to shatter. Okay. So the Olam Atohu is called the world of chaos because there's more light than vessel and the vessel shatters. Okay? What is this like? This means as follows. When it comes to the Olam Atohu, the nature of the light is boundless. It's infinite. When it comes to the vessels, they are finite. And therefore the finite cannot contain the infinite. I'll give it to you, B'derech Mashal. Let's say, let's call, for example, the infinite energy, let's call it an emotion, okay? In the world of Tohu, the emotion is so boundless, it's so infinite, it's so strong, the vessel cannot contain it, and therefore what happens? Therefore, the vessel is destroyed, and the emotion, while exceptionally powerful, becomes destructive. Like a, like a mother who loves her child so much that she doesn't give the child any room to breathe. There's boundless emotion, and there's, a and there's a finite vessel. The vessel can't contain it. The relationship becomes inappropriate. <coughs> or, for example, the, the husband that loves his wife so much that whenever she's not around, he's so codependent that he constantly needs her there. The emotion is larger than the vessel. This is called the olamatok. Okay. After the world of Tohu was destroyed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created what we call the Olam HaTikun, the world of rectification. The world of rectification is exactly the opposite of the Olam HaTohu. The world of rectification goes as follows. There's much less light and much more vessel, which means that as opposed to putting molten lava, only water goes into the vessel, right? So therefore, the, the energy is not nearly as powerful, but the vessel is capable of containing it. So in this world, the emotion might be present, but it lacks the boundlessness of the olamato. So it's there, 
but it doesn't have the same energy. It doesn't have the same capacity. But it means that the relationship is appropriate because there's the energy and there's the vessel. So far, so good? So in Olamatou, what was the advantage? We had boundless energy. What was the disadvantage? It was sloppy. There was no way to contain it. In the Olamatikun, the energy is not boundless, but it's contained, it's appropriate. Make sense? So far, so good? Okay. Now here's where it gets interesting. The Zayr HaKadosh says that one creation is built on top of the other. In other words, it goes like this. When the Olam HaTohu was destroyed and the vessels shattered, those vessels became what we know now to be the physical world. So when we look at the physical world around us, when we look at this table, what is this table from a spiritual perspective? It's the shattered vessels of the Olam HaTohu. So it's not the pshat, see now why it has to go one on top of the other? It's not the pshat that the Olam was destroyed and now there's an Olam No, the Olam shattered, it becomes the physical reality of the Olam and the spiritual reality of the Olam everything that's kadosh, comes from light being able to be contained in vessels. So in this world, where is there kedusha? In that which is appropriate. Where is there tuma? Where is there the coarse physical? In that where the light could not be contained by the vessels and Mamela the vessels shattered. Except one thing. In the Olamatohu, when the vessels shattered, because the light filled it up too much, the light didn't all disappear. The light was sticky. Right? And therefore, because the light was sticky, you can find the infinite light of the Olam HaTohu in the physical world, not in the spiritual world. I'm going to say that again because that is a very big deal. When it comes to the Olam HaTikon, our world now, we're, we're built on the physical reality of the Olam HaTohu. Okay? But the Olam HaTohu is the shattered vessels of the... I'm sorry, the physical world is the shattered vessels of the Olam HaTohu. But when the Olam HaTohu shattered, it's not the shot that the light just left. Some of the light was still in those broken shards of vessels. And therefore, where can a person find infinite light from the perspective of Kabbalah? Not in the Olam necessarily, but where? In the physical reality of the Olam And history is really the story of mining those shards of light, those sparks of light, the Nitzot from the physical world and bringing them into the vessels of Olam Okay, So if somebody asks you, what is the tachlis of a Jew? The tachlis of a Jew is to gather the sparks of Olam and to bring them into the vessels where they can be contained in the Olam Okay. Last part, last part of the introduction. The Gemara says, Mashiach will either come in one of two times. Either it will come in its designated time, or it can be hastened. Okay, it can either come Be'ita or Ba'akishana, in its time, or it can be hastened. The Gemara says, if we're Zoha, it will come in a rushed way, in a hastened way. And if not, it will come in its time. The simple shot of the Gemara is that it would be better if Mashiach comes faster. If we're meritorious, it'll come faster. But, the Magadmi Mezrich explains that there is a chisaron to Mashiach coming faster. If Mashiach comes faster, on the one hand, we will no longer have to live in an unrectified state. So Mashiach coming faster is obviously better for who? For us. But if Mashiach comes faster, we will be missing a particular dimension. And it goes as follows. Right now, the physical dimension has not yet undergone a transformation. It hasn't released, so to speak, all of its sparks into the vessels of the Olamatikun. So if Mashiach comes, how will the rectification of the world take place? 
the physical world will be overwhelmed by the divine light of Mashiach. So in reality, when you look at it, it will be rectified. But it will never have gone through a transformation. There's a difference. Like, for example, the example that I gave today in Shir was if you have a butterfly and the butterfly is on the verge of its cocoon, right? And it's breaking out of its cocoon. The worst thing you could do is to break open the cocoon. Because what makes a butterfly a butterfly? How does it go from being a caterpillar to being a butterfly? The struggle against the cocoon builds the strength and the color of the wings. Make sense? So if, if you take a cocoon and you cut it open so that the butterfly doesn't have to struggle, then the wings won't have any color and they'll be listless, right? If you let the butterfly struggle, then it fully goes through its transformation. So in order for the Olam HaTohu to go through a transformation, to really become part of the Olam HaTikun, Mashiach needs to come in its time and cannot be rushed. If Mashiach would come, because we were Zoha, would come earlier, in a certain way we would lose something. So far so good? Okay. If you have all of those facts, I'm going to chazer them real quickly in a moment. If you have all of those facts, then we're going to read the entire story of Yaakov and Esav again. And we're going to see a totally new story. I'm going to chazer the facts real quick now. And then we're going to go back to the story. Number one, the world was created as a process. What's the process? <clears throat> Olamatou is destroyed. The infinite light of Olamatou shatters the vessels of Olamatou. That becomes the physical world, but the shards of light, some shards of light, remain in the Olamatou. Olamatikon is the spiritual world that's built on the physical world. That has vessels, but the light is not as powerful. Our job is to find the vessels, to mine those sparks of Kedusha from the physical world and bring them into the vessels of Olamatikon. So far so good? If Mashiach comes early, not all the sparks will have been given up. The Olamato will be overwhelmed by the divine light. But if, we, if Mashiach comes in its time, then the world will go through its appropriate transformation. The secret of this shir, and this is what the Alter Rebbe speaks out, is that Yaakov and Esau is really the story of Olamato and Olamatikon. And as we're going to see, starting from their very birth, all the way through the brachos, all the way through their entire life story and beyond. Everything is this story of Olamato and Olamatikon. This is what I love about Chasidus. You take a deep concept in Kabbalah, and then you see that just the simple story of Chumash takes on a whole new meaning. That's why it's so frustrating to me when guys go like, I don't know, Rabbi, it's just like a silly book. Like, it's just like kid stories. Yeah, if you're... The last time that you learned Chumash seriously was the little Medrash says, so then don't come complaining to me when it doesn't have depth to it. Okay. Why is Esav the Olamatohu? Let's start with Esav. Number one, Esav came first. Right? Since Esav comes first, which one came first? The Olamatohu comes first. Esav is represented by the Olamatohu. But more than that, Esav is unbridled energy, totally boundless. Who's stronger, Yaakov or Esav? Esav is much stronger than Yaakov. In a certain way, Yaakov is afraid of Esav, because Esav's energy is so primal, it's so powerful. <coughs> but not only that, Esav is described as Sayyid Befiv. He's cunning in his mouth. What's the cunningness of Esav's mouth? Remember, Chavre, how was the world created? What does the mission Avos say? Ba'asara ma'amaros nivraha ha'olam. The world was not created by God snapping his fingers. What was it? There were utterances. Esav represents those initial utterances of creation. Why does Yitzchak love Esav more than Yaakov? Yitzchak loves Esav more than Yaakov because Yitzchak recognizes that the tachlis habria is when Esav, with his powerful energy will connect to Yaakov and be contained by Yaakov, the world will come to its ultimate fruition. So what is, who does Yitzchak want to give the bracha to? Yitzchak, of course, wants to give the bracha to Esav. Who else would Yitzchak want to give the bracha to? Because who really needs the bracha? Not Yaakov. Esav needs the bracha. It's he who has the sparks of the Olamato. Why does Rivka not want Esav to get the sparks? I'm sorry, to get the bracha? 
because Rivka, as we're going to see, I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler alert, because Rivka grew up in the house of Lavan, she understood the Olam HaTohu very well. She understood that Esau's Olam HaTohu had already shattered. And since the, the Olam HaTohu had already shattered, the bracha would be lost on Esau. Why? Because either the divine light of Yitzchak is going to overwhelm Esau, or it will be lost on him because the vessel's already shattered. There's nothing to contain that bracha. Mm. Who is Esau's zivug? Who is Esau supposed to marry? The Gemara tells us that Leah would sit on the side of the road. And she would, and passerbyers would go by, and they would say, like the yentas that they were, Oh, so cute. Lavan has two girls. Yaakov has two sons. They're going to marry each other, right? You can see, picture that Muncie, Borough Park, Yenta. Oh, she knows who she is. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> because you like it. The, um, what's the shot? So, so Leah, Leah heard about this and she started inquiring of the deeds of Esau. And they said, he's a rush. He's a ganav. What did Chazal say? She cried so hard that her eyelashes fell out. That's why her eyes were called soft. In fact, there's a medrash that says that Lavan and Rivka actually made a contract, that that's what was going to happen. The deeper meaning is as follows. The Pasuk in Malachi says that Esav is called a snua. He's called hated. Ve'es Esav Sanesi, the Pasuk in Malachi says. Who else is called a snua? Leah. Leah is called a snua. By who? By Yaakov. Yaakov loves Rachel and he hates Leah. What's the shot Yaakov hates Leah? Isn't that a terrible thing for a husband to do? Especially at Sadiq like Yaakov? Listen deeply now. What do we hate? We hate what we can't understand. Leah and Esau, in a certain way, they're not understood by Yaakov because the Olam HaTohu can't be understood by the finite mind. It's an infinite, boundless energy. It doesn't mean that Yaakov hated anything. Yaakov walked through, Esau, I hate Leah. It means that just like Esau is called hated because we can't understand Esau, how do you have all that boundless energy and do nothing with it? So too when it comes to Leah. It's the same thing. So Leah and Esau were a shidduch. Why were Leah and Esau a shidduch? Because they were both the Olam HaTohu. Except that Leah was an Olam HaTohu whose vessels had not shattered. So when the passerbyers would go by and they would say, oh, there's, there's two and two. This one belongs to this one. She was inquiring about whom? She was inquiring about her soulmate. And she was devastated to find out that the, that the vessels of the Olamato of Esav had shattered. Because she said, how can I be with somebody like that? Now this is an unbelievable vart. Medrash says that when Yaakov married Leah, thinking that it was Rachel, he woke up the next day and discovered that it was Leah. <clears throat> so he spoke to her. They had a conversation. This is what the Medrash says. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I see that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Your father's a liar and so are you. So Leah responds to him, Yes, I'm a liar. You know where I learned it from? I learned it from you. You guys know that commercial? There's an old commercial for a kid who was like smoking or something and his father said, how could you smoke? And he goes, I learned it from watching you. It was like this big 80s commercial. I learned it from watching you and he storms that. She says, we learned it from you. You were our teacher in lying when you lied to Yitzchak and took the bracha of Esav. So the Kajnitzer Magad asks the following question. He goes, what does one have to do with the other? Because Yaakov lied to Yitzchak so now Leah can lie to Yaakov? What has one got to do with the other? So listen what the Kajnitzer Magad says. We always think that Yaakov took Esav's bracha. Chazan Shemagat says it's not true. Yaakov became Esav. When Yaakov put on Esav's clothing, it was not simply that he dressed up as Esav, but he took the mission of Esav into himself. And now, in other words, now Yaakov goes from being one person to being two people at once. On the one hand, he's the Yaakov Avinu, the Tzaddik, but now he also becomes the Esav. So the Kajnitzer Magad says, so what's, Le- what's Leah really saying to Yaakov? She's saying, I didn't lie to you. When you lied to Yitzchak, you became Esav. Esav is my soulmate. 
So now, I'm Shaykh to you. In other words, what's the big deal about the Kajnitzer Magid? Up until now, how did you expect that we were going to present Yaakov and Esav? Esav is the Olam HaTohu and Yaakov is the Olam HaTikun, right? No. Esav was the Olam HaTohu. It was his job to give that boundless energy to be contained by Yaakov, but he shattered, he failed. And therefore, what happens? Who has to take on his mission? Rivka says, Esav shattered, so now you, Yaakov, you have to take on his position. You understand? So now Yaakov is both. He becomes the Olamato, he takes the soul of Esav and the Olamatikon at once. Mamela, who's his Zivug? His Zivug is Leia and Rachel. Guys, what's the halacha? Are you allowed to marry two sisters? No. no. What's the famous kasha? Oh, if the Avos kept Kolatoira Kula, how could they have married sisters? What's the answer? It's two people. It's not one person, he's two people. He has two souls now. <clears throat> now, based on this, we can now understand the entire life story of Yaakov. Yaakov steals the bracha. What's the very next thing he does? He goes to Yeshiva Shem Ve'ever. Fourteen years he doesn't sleep in Yeshiva Shem Ve'ever. He's totally immersed in his learning. Before Yaakov Avinu went to Yeshiva Shem Ve'ever, what was he called? Ishtam Yosheva Holim. What does that mean? It means he was a yeshiva bacher. So I don't understand. The Torah doesn't tell us that he didn't sleep. Beforehand, Yaakov Avinu slept. Now he comes to Yeshiva Shem Ve'ever and he doesn't sleep? What changed? Also, another question. What was the Torah that he was learning in Yeshiva Shem Ve'ever? He didn't learn Torah from Yitzchak? Torah is as follows. By Yitzchak, he learned the Torah of Olam Atikun. But by Shem and Ever, he learned the Torah of Olam Hatohu. He had to learn Esau's Torah. And by the way, who knew that better than Shem Ve'ever, who grew up with the entire generation of Noach, was the ultimate in chaos, the ultimate in the shattered vessels. So Shem and Ever taught Yaakov Avinu how to be Esau appropriately. Mamela, he doesn't sleep for 14 years. Why doesn't he sleep for 14 years? He can't sleep. He has to be totally immersed in this, totally immersed in order that what? When he leaves, he should be ready to, he should be ready to go out and take the sparks of the Olamato with him. Mamela, we can understand that as soon as Yaakov Avinu leaves Shem Ve'ever, he's robbed of all of his possessions. What's the story? How is he robbed of all of his possessions? Because Esau took a concubine. The concubine's name was Timna. Timna and Esau had a child whose name was Eliphaz. Eliphaz went was told, he had to take a shvua, that he was going to kill Yaakov. He was this emissary. Timna told him, if your father could have killed Yaakov, he would have. You're being sent on a suicide mission. Plus, Chazal say that when he actually got to Yaakov, he couldn't do it because Lamaisa, he was Yitzchak's grandchild, and he couldn't bring himself to kill Yitzchak's son. So Mamela, what does he do? He takes all of his possessions, because the Gemara says, Ani of Kames. A poor person is like he's dead, which doesn't mean that a poor person is like he's dead, it just means that he can't be a Baal Chesed. So he took all of Yaakov Avinu's money. That's from the perspective of Alifas, but I want to talk about the perspective of the divine plan from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Why was it so important to Hashem that Yaakov come with no possessions? And furthermore, who gave Yaakov all of these possessions? Yitzchak gave him these possessions. For what purpose? To marry who? Leah. To marry, uh, not Leah, to marry Rachel. Why do we know the story? Because when Yaakov gets to Rachel, he cries. Why does he cry? My father gave Eliezer all these possessions for Yitzchak to marry Rivka. Right? For Eliezer to, marry, to take Rivka to marry Yitzchak. But I come with no possessions to marry you, Rachel. All the possessions that Yitzchak gave Yaakov were for who? Which shidduch? Yaakov... And Rachel. But if Yaakov has all the possessions that he needs, what will he never do? He'll never get into the physical world to mine the physical world of its sparks. Memela, what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? He sends Eliphaz to make Yaakov into an Ani so that he should have nowhere else to go. He must go to love him. By the way, when Yaakov Avinu goes to the Harabayas and he has that vision of the Malachim going up and down the ladder, who goes up? Who goes up? It first it says the, the Malachim ascend, and then they descend. Who goes up? What does Rashi say? The Malachim of Eretz Yisrael. Do they come down? No. They do not come down. Who comes down? The Malachim of Chutz Laaretz come down to take Yaakov Vinu. Why do the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael leave? 
Because he's not in the Olam Atikun anymore. Now he's going on his Ace of mission. Mamela, what Malachim are going to be with him? It's going to be the Malachim of Chutzlarts. And they don't come back to the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael because the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael, they're not Shaykh to this mission. It's crazy. Now, Yaakov Avinu, I think it's pretty wild too. Now Yaakov Avinu goes to a place called Charan. What does the name of Charan mean? Say it every day during Kriyashma, the Chara Af Hashem. It means God's wrath. This is the focus of God's wrath. I'm going to say a big thing right now. The soul in heaven is perfect. Right? So what's the, what's the obvious question? If the soul in heaven is perfect, why leave? Some say the whole reason is to come down here to go back up there. But if that's the case, just stay. So listen, it's based on many Mamari Chazal. There is one thing that the soul does not have in Shemaim. It's perfect, but it's lacking one thing. It's lacking children. That's what the soul is lacking in this world. It doesn't have children. The soul never built itself up. So Dafka in Charan, the place that's the wrath of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, meaning the ultimate in Olam Atou physicality, and Dafka with love on Haramai, love on the liar. Why is the world a liar, guys? Because what does the world project? That there is no God. When you look at the world, you don't think God, right? You look at the world. This world says, okay, I'm here. It doesn't say I had a creator. So Dafka by Lavan, Dafka in Charan, Yaakov Avinu has to go to mine those sparks of the Olam Atou. And what happens to Yaakov? In the Olamato of Chara. He marries Rachel and Leah. He has children. And he becomes phenomenally wealthy. What is the nature of Yaakov Avinu's wealth? The nature of Yaakov Avinu's wealth is that he has sheep. Everything else that Yaakov has, Rashi explains, why does he have it? Because he sold his sheep to get that other stuff. Basically, Yaakov was a shepherd who was also a businessman. Why Dafka sheep? The reason dafka for sheep is because sheep are docile animals. So they represent bittal or nullification. Okay? So what does that mean? Right now, when we look at this water bottle, what do we see? We see a water bottle. But really, what's fueling this water bottle? What's the essence of this water bottle? Is the godly spark, the will that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has this, for this water bottle to exist. So if you could strip away all the physicality, if this water bottle could nullify itself, so to speak, what would you see? All you would see is a locus. You understand? All you would see is the godly will for this thing to exist. So Mamela Yaakov Avinu's Iker engagement is in the world of sheep. Because his avoda is to come to Charan, to come to Lavan, to build a family, to do what? To have the entire world nullify itself before, the, before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in this way, it reveals its true reality. If anybody's interested in learning more of this, take a look in Tanya, Shayichud Vaimuna. Now Yaakov Avinu spends 22 years by Lavan. What does he do? He decides to leave. He's ready. In fact, if you look... Rachel and Leah say, there's no longer a portion or an inheritance for us in our father's house. Meaning, what are Rachel and Leah saying? We have no more business here. There's no more sparks left to be mined. It's all done. So what do they do? They leave. But Lavan comes chasing after them. And this is very unexpected. Because if Yaakov Avinu has successfully gotten the Olamato to yield all of its sparks... Right? Why does he feel ready to confront Esau to go back there to Israel? Because he did it. He conquered the Olamato. Why is Lavan chasing me? And not only that, when Lavan comes, what does he say? These are my children. These are my sheep. This is my stuff. What are you doing? Yaakov Avinu can't understand. He says, what are you talking about? I worked for you for 22 years. What's Yaakov Avinu saying? I did it. I mined all the sparks. Why are you running after me? What does Lavan say? You stole my idols. You stole not just any idols, but you stole the idols of my house. These are his household idols. These are the Lavan Deka idols. So what's Lavan saying? Now listen carefully. The Olam HaTohu, as we said before, it's not understood. It's hated. So what does the Olam HaTohu want more than anything else? Understood. It wants to be understood. When somebody is misunderstood, what do they want? They want to be understood. You ever get into a fight with a friend of yours and he's like, you don't understand what I'm saying. Will you just listen to what I'm saying? I just want to be, I just want to be understood. Right? This is why all women want to be validated. You come home, if your wife comes home and you try to solve her problem, what's going to happen? 
I don't want you to solve my problem. What do women want you to do? That sounds so harsh. Why? Because they want to feel understood. The Olamato wants to feel understood. Lovan is coming after Yaakov and he's saying, you didn't do it. I wanted you to do it. You didn't do it. Yaakov can't understand. What do you mean I didn't do it? I just spent 22 years. I didn't sleep in 22 years. I was working for you the entire time. I amassed all the sheep. Right? That's what he's talking about. I amassed all the sheep. Meaning I brought the world to its state of bittle, to its rectification. Where are my idols? You stole my idols. Guys, let's go back to the Gemara. What are the two ways Mashiach can come? In its time, or it can be hastened. What's the advantage of coming if it's hastened? We don't, have to, we don't have to deal with anything. What's the advantage of its coming in its time? It goes through a transformation. What's Lavan saying? You stole my idols. I never really went through this transformation. You stole my idols. Check, I didn't steal, my, I didn't steal your idols. Stole your idols. Can't find them. Rachel's hiding them. So when Lavan finally lets Yaakov go, even though Yaakov just spent 22 years, did he ever really finish the work? No. He never really finished the work. Mamela, Yaakov is now going to confront Esau, and he feels confident that he did the work. He doesn't understand why is the Olamato saying that I didn't do the work. Now Yaakov Avinu goes back to Chutzlaretz. Who comes with him into Chutzlaretz, Chazal say? The Malachim of Eretz Yisrael come out to greet him. The Malachim of Chutz Laaretz, they actually go with him into Eretz Yisrael. As opposed to before, where the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael left and they don't come back. And now the Malachim of Chutz Laaretz take him out. Here the Malachim of Chutz Laaretz, they belong in Eretz Yisrael. Why would the Malachim of Chutz Laaretz belong in Eretz Yisrael? Because they're with him. He raised them up. He made them Eretz Yisrael. Memele, they belong in Eretz Yisrael. And Yaakov Avinu says, okay, I'm ready to confront Esau. But a very interesting thing happens. He sends a message to Esau. Who does he send the message with? Angels. What does Rashi say? Malachim Mamish. Very good. He doesn't just send Malachim, he sends Malachim Mamish. Says, says the Magan Mimezrich, he sent the Mamish of the Malachim and he kept the spirituality for himself. In other words, even the angels, what was the message that Yaakov Avinu was sending to Esau? I know how to split. Even angels have some form. I know how to split between form and sparks. I keep the sparks for myself and I send the form to you. Not only that, what's the message he says? Imlavangarti, what does Rashi say? shamarti. what's the underlying message? I went to Lavan, I lived there, and the mitzvahs, what's the nature of a mitzvah? Guy, if, somebody has, if somebody says, what's a mitzvah? The mitzvah is the way of mining the sparks of the physical world. What's the message he's sending to Esau? You're not a threat to me anymore. Memela, what happens? Esau says, to, the Malachim come back and they say, Esau is coming with 400 men to kill you. What's Yaakov Avinu's mindset at this time? Why in the world are they coming to kill me? Just like he couldn't understand why Lavan was chasing him because he thought he mined the Olamato of all its sparks. He can't understand how Asa possibly is a threat to him. What haven't I done? So he does three things. He davens, he sends gifts, and he prepares for war. Says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, these are the three ways a person needs to engage the physical world. First of all, you need to recognize, I can't do it on my own. That's humility. That's bittel. That's nullification. That's what you're diving for. Number two, you have to be ready to give of your own resources. If you're going to mine the physical world of its nuggets, of its sparks, you need to give of your own resources. And last but not least, you have to understand, this is a war. And in a war, you could get hurt. So you have to prepare for war. Yaakov Avinu splits up his family. Now what's the Pasuk say? By Yasser Yaakov Levado, Yaakov Avinu goes what? Goes back across the river to get, what does the Gemara say? Pachim Ketanim. In other words, small vessels. Small vessels. And by the way, those Pachim Ketanim, where do we see them later on? Those are the, those are the sparks, that last spark of Ner Hanukkah is in the Pachim Ketanim. He goes across the river. This is the ultimate test of, is Yaakov really doing Ace of Right or not? Why? Because if he's really collecting the sparks of Olamatou, so then if he's going back for a small vessel, it has to be what? Authentic. Are you doing it to mine the nugget, or are you doing it because you want to have all your vessels? Mamela, when he gets there, he has to fight with the Malach of Esav. Now, let's go through that. 
what the Malach Avesov looked like. It's Machlokes in the Gemara, what the Malach Avesov looked like. Either he looks like a Tamuchachim, or he looks like somebody who worships Avaydazar. What's the Pshat? What's the underlying Yesoid HaMachlokes? The underlying Yesoid HaMachlokes is as follows. The Malach of Esav could be one of two things. Could be Avaydazara, but if you mind the spark, really, what's Avaydazara, guys? Avaydazara is, I want to serve. I want to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But it's distorted, right? Because I want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to serve me. So if it's a Tamad Chacham, that means Yaakov Avinu took the spark of the Malach of Esav. If he falls into it, it means it's a Baal Avaydazara. The physical world could be either one. It depends on you. The dust from this fight goes all the way up to the Kisei HaKavod. What does it mean the dust goes up to the Kisei HaKavod? The physical world now, in this fight, Yaakov Avinu elevates it. He brings it up to the Kisei HaKavod. Which means what? Yaakov Avinu is tested and he's authentic. Every engagement that he has with the physical world is just to raise it up. And now the dawn breaks. Guys, what do, what do we compare Mashiach to? The sun comes out as a reference to Mashiach. Now listen to the Shla. The Malach Samael, that's the name of the Malach of Esav. The Malach Samael is Samach Mem Ahmed Aleph Lamed. The Shla says, based on the Gemara, in the times of Mashiach, we're going to shecht the Malach Samal. We're going to kill it. The Shla says, how do we kill it? In order to kill something, you have to remove its godliness. So what are we going to remove? Which letters? We're going to remove the Aleph and the Lamed. And then it will have no elokus left. Mamele, it'll die. Says the Shla, what question does Yaakov Avinu ask the Malach when the dawn breaks? What's your name? Why does he want to know? Yaakov Avinu thought, I just brought Mashiach. So he checks, what's your name? Is your name still Samael? Or did you lose your Aleph and Lamed? But no. The Malach hits him in the Gira Nosha. The Giranosha, Chazal says, the Makam Aleida. What's his response? Why is that? What's your name? Hits him in the Giranosha and he causes an injury, causes a limp. What's the Pshat? He's saying, this is not done. This fight is not over. You won this battle, but this fight, as the Ramban says, is going to be the Dore Doros. What does Yaakov Vinu say? I'm not letting you go till you give me a bracha. What's the bracha he gives him? Changes his name. He goes from Yaakov to Yisrael. Now, Chevra, are you allowed to call Avraham Avram? It's awesome. But Yaakov in Yisrael, the Torah uses both. What's the Pshat? The Pshat is Yaakov means Yud Ekev, raising up the physical. What does Yisrael mean? That you were Sarisa, Emelikim, yeah? And mean you fought with God and men and you prevailed, Vatuchal. So what should, ya- what should Yaakov be? Not Yisrael, not from a Lashon of Sarisa, it should be Vatuchal, right? Why can't Yaakov Avinu's name be Vatuchal? Because Yaakov Avinu wasn't victorious. He won this battle. But to call us victorious would be a mistake because our battle isn't over. What do we have left? We're still in the middle of the fight. So what's our... We fight with both the divine and with men. Why do we fight with both? What does it mean to be Israel? Is We go to the physical world, but what do we look for? We look for the godly spark. Now Yaakov Avinu goes back. He goes back across the river, having fought with the Malach of Esav, and he encounters Esav himself. And they embrace and they kiss. Now let's return to our original question. Was it authentic or not? The hug was authentic. The kiss is iffy. So it goes as follows. There's a difference between closeness and intimacy. Intimacy means oneness. Closeness means close. You should be close with your friends, not intimate with them. You should be intimate with your wife, not close with her. This is why sometimes when a couple gets divorced, what do you hear them say? Yeah, we were close. We were like really good friends, but we weren't husband and wife. Right? Something was missing. We were close, but we weren't intimate. Sometimes you hear of people being intimate with friends, and that's inappropriate. You have to wait until marriage where there is intimacy and then the intimate expression is appropriate. 
Ve'yichabkeu means they hugged, they got close. Ve'yishikeu means they kissed, they became one. So listen. To say that Yaakov and Esau were close now, that's easy. Because Yaakov in his own person was olamatikon and olamatau. But to say that they kissed, that you can't say. You can't say the kiss was authentic, right? Why? Because they're not one. So there's dots over the word Vayeshikeu to say what? There was something off about it. What does the Medrash say? When Esau tried to kiss Yaakov's neck, his neck turned to marble. And Esau cried out, and Yaakov cried out. Yaakov cried because his neck became marble, and Esau cried because he broke his teeth on Yaakov's neck. That's one pshat. But what does Rishim Bar Yochai say? Rishim Bar Yochai says no. Rishim Bar Yochai says it was authentic. Every other time, halachahi, Esau, Sona, Es Yaakov. It's a halacha. The way of the world is that the Olam and the Olam don't mesh, except for that one time. Why? Because this moment in time is a reference, it's foreshadowing, it's projecting forward to Yemosa Mashiach itself. And in Yemosa Mashiach, the kiss between Yaakov and Esau will be authentic. And that's why Rishim Bar Yochai, who always gives us the inner, inner meaning of things, right? he's all about the Zayar and Kabbalah and giving you the inner spark, is telling you not what's going on now, but what's going on at the end of days. And this explains another thing. The Pasuk by Yaakov says that he put his, his men first. And the Pasuk by Esav says he saddled up his women first. Rashi points out that there's a difference. When Rashi says, the, I'm sorry, when it's, the, it's the, the husbands and the wives. Rashi doesn't say husbands and wives. Rashi says male and female. Male represents the Olam Hatikun. Because emotions are controlled when they're tempered by logic. But in the Olam HaTohu, emotions don't need logic. Because in the Olam HaTohu, the emotion is so unbridled, it's so powerful. In Yemosa Mashiach, the Olam HaTohu will have been mined. And therefore, there's no danger of having this unbridled energy be destructive. In other words, right now, emotions without logic are very destructive. That's why a person's emotions need to be appropriate. But in Yemosa Mashiach, emotions won't need logic because they'll be contained by the Olamatikun already. So when Yaakov prepares to do battle with Esau, what does Yaakov put first? The men. Because that represents the Olamatikun. But now, when Esau is leaving Yaakov, what does he saddle up first? The female. Why? Because it's the Olam HaTohu projecting forward to Yemosa Mashiach. Memela, we understand why Rishim Bar Yochai says, this kiss, it was authentic. It was the only time that Esau and Yaakov kissed authentically. Why? Because it's a reference to Yemosa Mashiach. Memela, we can understand something very powerful. Why doesn't Yaakov go with Esau to Harseir? Didn't they just make peace? What's the answer? If Yaakov goes to Harseir, what would that be like? That would be like the divine light overwhelming this world. That would be Mashiach coming, not in its time, but in a hastened way. So what does Yaakov say to him? No, I still have young children, I have flocks, meaning all these things, they need to undergo a transformative process. I'll meet you in Harseir. Guys, what did the Medrash say? I'll meet you in Harseir when? When Mashiach comes. So this was all foreshadowing what happens to Mashiach. Right, can you guys handle one last bit of Kabbalah? What's the next story in the Parsha? The next story in the Parsha is the story of Dina being raped and abducted by Shechem. Shechem is who? The son of? Chamor. Very good. Chamor means the physical. Shechem is Rashi Tevos. Shem Kavayid Machusai. So it's the godly spark of the physical. That's Shechem and Chamor. Dina is described as who? Dina is the daughter of Leah. What did we say, guys? Leah is really the shidduch for who? Asa. For Esau, because she is the Olamato. But Leah doesn't marry Esau, she marries Yaakov. But she has a daughter. What does Rashi say? Where was Dina when Esau was being met by Yaakov? Hidden in a box. Hidden in a box. Mamela Rashi says, what was her punishment? She was eventually abducted. Not her punishment, it was Yaakov's punishment. That eventually she was taken by Shechem. Why? 
Because since Dina was the daughter of Leah, Dina also was the product of what? Of the union of Olamatohu and Olamatikun. So who might have been able to rectify Esav? Dina. Because she was both. She had the, she had the Leah aspect of Olamatohu. She had the Yaakov aspect of Olamatikun. Mamela, she was the one that could have been Makar of Esav. So Vatetze Leah, like a mother, like daughter, just like Leah went out to greet Yaakov by the Dudoim, so too Dina goes out to do what? Dina goes out to try to be Makar of Shechem. But because Yaakov Avinu didn't give her the opportunity to do it by Esav, Mamela, she can't reveal the godly spark of Shechem, the son of Hamor. And by the way, when you look at the Psukim, the most love you'll ever see in the entire Torah is between Shechem and Dina. What does it say? That his soul was Davik to her. Why is his soul so Davik to her? Because in, in the depth of who Shechem was, he was deeply connected to Dina. But since he behaved inappropriately because Yaakov Avinu didn't let Dina be Makar of Esav, Mamela, what does Shimon and Levi have to do? Shimon and Levi have to kill all of them. First they give them a bris mila. They bring them into the covenant, right? They elevate the physical. But then they say this physical is distorted and it needs to be destroyed. Yaakov Avinu criticizes them for it. And what does Yaakov Avinu say? You're confusing me. What does it mean Yaakov? What's Yaakov saying? You're confusing me. The pshat is because Yaakov Avinu is both. He's the Olamatikun and he's the Olamatov. He's Yaakov and Esau. And he sees his mission as to do what? As to elevate the physical. But in destroying Shem, for Yaakov Avinu, it goes against the grain of who he is. Because when Yaakov Avinu hears of such a terrible Avera, even to his own daughter, what does he want to do? Like Dina, he wants to elevate the physical. He wants to get the spark. Lemaisa, he knew that Shimon and Levi were right. Because how could we let our, how could we let our sister become a Zaina to Shem, the son of Hamar? If you fast forward, and we'll finish with this, in Mitzrayim, Klal Yisrael just wanted to leave, right? What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu say to them? No, you have to ask the Mitzrim for their gold and silver vessels. And they have to give it up to you willingly. The Gemara says, they just want to leave. It's like somebody who's in jail. They just want to leave. Don't, we don't care about stuff. We just want to leave. What, is, what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu say? No, you got to stay because this was the whole Tachlis of Golis. To get Mitzrayim to give you their vessels. Could Klal Yisrael have just taken them? No, because when the Olam Atohu is forced into becoming the Olam Atikun, it's not a real transformation. What's the real transformation? The real transformation is when the Olam Atohu gives up its spark and is contained within the Olam Atikun. And that's why Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is representative of the ultimate Yemais HaMashiach experience, when the Olam Atohu will release all of its sparks into the Olam Atikun. Okay, we'll stop here. <laughs> Thank you.